0: Luke chapter 18 and verse 1 says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God. By the way, that ought to give us a, a indication that uh, this is not a comparison with God, but a contrast with who God is. Often... We get into trouble when we read this this parable incorrectly, but uh, there was a there was in a city a judge which feared not God, nor regarded man and there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, "Avenge me of mine adversary, and he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, "Though I fear not God nor regard man yet because this widow troubleth me." When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth now that those last few words shall he find faith on the earth is troublesome to many a commentator because they're trying to figure out how to um have people losing their salvation they're trying to find a reason for people to be apostates and um that there is no longer any faith on the earth when the Lord returns. That's not what this is saying. Um, Jesus describes the culture in, especially in the, in the previous chapter in chapter 17, he describes the culture that will be on the earth before his coming or before his second coming. Uh, he describes the days of Noah. He describes Lot's wife. So we're, We have the illusion of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, So there is a rotting society that will happen, and we believe is happening before our very eyes. And as a result of that societal decline, societal disintegration, societal rotting, it is easy to faint, it is easy to be discouraged. And so Jesus tells a parable to tell his disciples and to tell us how to endure to the end Um, so that when Jesus does come, he finds faith or dependence or we would even say fervent love when he returns. Um, In fact, this parable is one of the parables that Jesus explains he doesn't always explain his parables, but he does this one so that we understand it. So, how do we live between January second and the time we see Jesus face to face, which may also be January second? But um, how do we live in our culture? And the and the the gist of this is: don't give up. Don't give up and default to man's means, or man-dependent means, pray. Don't give up praying. Pray. And don't stop praying. So it's the oxygen. We've heard uh, many times we've commented on uh, praying is breathing throne room air. I think that plays into this context here. Praying is the oxygen of heaven for living in a hostile and rotting culture. Uh, I think that's why we're still together after almost a thousand days. That's why we've seen so many wonderful things happen, answers to prayer. Um, We may or may not have seen instances of revival, but we do believe that there are awakenings and revivals that are happening that we may not even know about as a result of our praying. So Jesus does not compare God here with a selfish judge, but there's a contrast between God and the selfish judge. Think of this. In the first century, it was very difficult for widows to get justice because they lacked the means for bribing court officers who would then get judges to act. But this widow just would not quit. I love it, actually. Um, I love the picture of this. Um, She wasn't going to quit until that judge had given her what was hers, what she was supposed to get. Now, this is not in the text. It's probably somewhere buried in the original Greek, but um, I can just picture this widow catching the judge in his office and bothering him for justice. Maybe she caught him coming out of the court building, and I'm picturing ancient buildings, maybe stone with no windows, you know, no glass, uh, coming out of the court building. Maybe she's running beside his chariot, even saying, judge, please honor my request. Judge, please give me mercy. Judge, would you rule in my behalf? And um, just Nonstop with the judge even okay even finding the judge's house after he goes home for the day and knocking on his door or maybe the judge sits down to a nice meal with his family and she's hammering on the outside of the room judge please honor my request she gives him no rest if you will um Widows then would be a picture of dependent, helpless people. And so now this judge finally meets the needs of this poor widow. Um, And if that's the case, how much more will a loving heavenly father meet the needs of his own children? When they cry to him, that's the message. And um, I think we could take away three things from this before we go to prayer. Number one is, ladies and gentlemen, let us pray faithfully with confidence and optimism. Let us pray faithfully with confidence and optimism, confident that God answers our requests, even if he delays, even if he has good divine reason for delay we trust him we have to trust him we've had a year of sundays in back of us um we've had the foundations conference in back of us we've almost prayed a thousand days together and we say now what all these things have all these things equaled up to the things we're praying for no now what do we do the word from jesus to us is Trust me. Now, he may be working, obviously, in ways we can't see, but trust me, don't stop praying. And there's a parallel here. The answer to the widow took persistence, and it took time. I think this is a, a major theme of this. Spiritual warfare takes time. We saw that in Daniel chapter 10, where it took 21 days for the angel to bring the answer fight through the spiritual warfare in the dimension we can't see to get to Daniel. Um, Pray without ceasing. Our Lord says, so the pressures of worldliness, chapter 17, the pressures of worldliness will become greater and greater as the end draws near. So all the more we must pray and not faint. Number two, let us pray because God is our only source of strength. And victory. Let us pray because God is our only source of strength and victory. So, the argument of the parable is not that you should pester God so that he helps you, you wear him down to where he wants to get you off his back, if you will. God's different than the judge. Only God is able to fight for us and push back the darkness and send an awakening and revival in a culture that's rotten. I love the the but God verses of Scripture. Matthew twenty uh, Matthew nineteen verse twenty six. With men, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. First Corinthians three six. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Acts thirteen twenty nine. They took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the, from the dead. So we should pray because God is our only source of strength and victory. And lastly, let's pray because prayer and faith, or we could define it as fervent love, are connected. Prayer and fervent love are connected. I love to hear of churches who are renewing their commitment to dependence on God in prayer. Maybe they've gotten... They've gotten to the to the end of their programs or their policies or their practice, and they've said, "Surely things must be better than this." And so they return to prayer. If we faint from prayer, then the Son of Man will not find fervent love when he returns. He will find human effort. He will find trellis without vine. He will find a form of godliness without the power thereof, he will find cold, not fervent, but cold churches. I heard somebody say once, you show me a cold, predictable, stale church, and I'll show you a prayerless church. So one author said this in his writing about this text, dependence on God is the furnace of our lives. And the divinely appointed shovel for feeding the furnace is prayer. So if you get discouraged and lay down the shovel, the fire will go out. So I'll just say again, prayer is the oxygen of heaven for living in a decaying culture. And as we pray for revival and awakening, let's inhale throne room air and press forward.